Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Welcome back to the Brain Care Podcast. This week's special guest once again is Dr. Sophie Moore with her 40,000 plus followers on Instagram. We're here to talk about her brilliant new book. So she's just released it. It's called A Manual for Being Human. So firstly, welcome back to the show, of course. And then secondly, what prompted you to write this book? The answer to that is, I suppose, threefold. Ego, money, and drugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, am I close? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> when I was little, uh, my grandma had a manual for everything. Honestly, you'd like tear a hole in your socks or your jeans. Someone would make the gravy too greasy or you'd spill ink on something and she'd get this manual out and it had the answer to everything. Honestly, I was like, oh, adults have the answer to everything written in these books. We have Haynes manuals for cars. You know, I grew up and I was like, oh, there really are books for everything. Then at 18, I had my first panic attack and had nowhere to turn. I didn't know anyone who'd struggled with panic. My only reference point was pretty much one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Even though that precedes my time by a long way, it was the only thing I'd seen. And in that, people are categorized either as mad, bad, and all their lives are over. So I was having these panic attacks and thinking, oh my word, my life's over. I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind. I'm going to die. And when I eventually got the right support and realized I wasn't just surviving, but thriving and was able to manage my panic, I was like, what is happening? Why is there all this psychological information that isn't shared and out in the public domain? So I decided I'm going to learn as much as I can about psychology, hence me doing the undergraduate in psychology, master's in neuroscience, doctorate in clinical psychology. And then I'm going to make a manual like my gran had that shares all of the information that we need growing up, but weren't taught in school so that people don't have to feel the way I did at 18. The other reason is my fears about people lacking this information were confirmed through working in the NHS, where I saw people coming off waiting lists without the basic information that would have helped them ease their own distress, helped others know how to support them in the first place, and may have actually stopped their distress from reaching what we call clinical levels in the first place. So this book <laughs> is for anyone with a human brain who wants to understand what makes them them, wants to understand their relationships with themselves their, and others, their emotions, and pretty much everything that makes them tick. And, you know, just listening to you, like, describe it, essentially, you know, it's got sort of relative um, associations almost with someone we were just speaking about before, Alain de Botton, you know, is his work and, the, and his style and the way that he writes, you know, is that an inspiration for the way that you've approached the books? It sounds much like it in a new approach. Yeah, I think so. You know, one of my favorite things that he talks about is something like, you know, if we were told that acquiring plastic discs would lead us to get the love and attention we need, we would do anything we could to get these pieces of plastic. He says it much more eloquently. And I suppose that's the premise of my whole book, really. It's the idea that almost everything that you and I do day in, day out, from the moment that we come into the world, my book literally starts with you taking your first breath and comes up to wherever you are in life. Everything we do from that moment 
is about us trying to stay close to and connected to the people we need, that we love, and that will help us grow. So even people who say, oh, I'm not driven by the desire for love and acceptance, even those people are feeling that. They just may not be aware of it because it was kind of stamped out of them being able to say that early on in life. Yeah, I, I completely get that. And actually, just speaking about childhood, so do you want to start there? Like, How do you think our childhood does affect who we are? So first thing I'm going to say is it's not the be all and end all. I do think that one of the upsides of Instagram right now is it's a place where you can get a lot of information about your psychology. I think the downside is there's a real lack of nuance. So for example, depending on who you follow, you may actually go away thinking everything is to do with my childhood. (laughs) This isn't the case. Part one of my book covers five main areas that shape us. Childhood, your teenage years when your identity is being developed, media marketing you consume each day, structural inequality, and life events. Because even if you get through your childhood and it's brilliant, you're going to be affected day to day by things like breakups, death of loved ones, and loneliness. So I just want to caveat that, that childhood is important, but it's not the only thing. And DNA is also important. So the shortest way I can describe childhood affecting you is that it really shapes not only how your brain develops to respond to stresses and strains in the world, and it's the place where you develop your relational blueprints. So how you respond when other people come up to you, when you meet new people, new friends, when you date, how you expect them to interact with you and how you cope with that emotional closeness. Sophie, I was wondering, uh, why your book over anyone else's? Like, what makes it so much better? Why is it worth our money? Great question. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Basically, to date, pretty much every psychology book that isn't for academia, so isn't for people studying to be psychologists, focuses on only one area of life. So, for example, maybe it'll tell you about your attachment style, so your childhood Maybe it will tell you about emotions. Maybe it will tell you about the inner critic. Maybe it will tell you about modern dating. We don't to date, or we didn't before the 8th of July, (laughs) have a book that creates a framework upon which all of us can understand ourselves, that takes us from the very beginning of our lives to present day, um, I suppose, weaving the narrative of how everything that you come across day to day shapes who you are. Because actually you could learn about your inner critic and it would help, yes? But then you'd think, hmm, but I'm experiencing anger or sadness and then you'd need to look in another book. Or you could learn about your attachment styles but not quite understand how when you date someone and you end up projecting into the future, imagining that you know everything about them when actually they're still a stranger in front of you. You haven't found something that marries that up and so you need to get another book. So A Manual for Being Human is 480 pages because... It layers up almost every aspect of the human condition, of being a human. You can read it from front to back, learning layer by layer who you are, or you can use it as a reference guide. So say, for example, I don't know, you're standing on a train platform and have your first intrusive thought that you might push someone under a train. If you do have that, it's totally normal. I've had it many times. Your brain just flashes up any scary thought it thinks you need to attend to. It doesn't mean anything. Or maybe you go through a breakup, or maybe your compare and despair is overwhelming you. This book covers every main topic of psychology, and you can dip back into it whenever you want. Well, I was just thinking it was really funny. Is I, I love to read on Audible, sorry, listen on Audible, 
because, you know, I'm illiterate. I just, and I'm an unbelievably slow reader, but sometimes there's books like yours that are just so much better as an actual book. You know, it's the reference ones, right? Because actually it's very annoying to try and find the right chapter at the right moment on Audible. Yes. Also, uh, it means you don't have to listen to my voice for 12 hours. Yeah, true. <laughs> but also, you know, I don't want to be standing on a train platform trying to figure out how not to push someone and suddenly comparing trains because I'm on the wrong chapter. I wouldn't want that to happen. <laughs> being jealous of the other train. There is one thing I'd say about the audiobook, which is quite funny, which is I'm absolutely horrified to listen to it, but there's a section on the inner critic where I give an example of uh, if you were to name your inner critic, it might be like, have you ever seen the film Full Metal Jacket? Yeah. You know, the guy shouts out, what's your major malfunction, numbnuts? Mm. <laughs> I have that direct line in my book saying that this might be a representation of your inner critic. If you imagine it's like that Sergeant Major shouting at you. And I ended up shouting it quite loudly in the audio book, like, what's your major malfunction? Malfunction numbnuts. I think I might have even tried to do an American accent, and it was so embarrassing. <laughs> so please read the book rather than the audio book because it makes me feel less embarrassed. Yes, but both is great because you know you you might have mouths to feed. You you might be driven by that <laughs> ego and fame as well. So you know if every customer just buys both, that's even better. Oh yes. Before you go, I want to know uh, what some of the myths and misconceptions are about therapy. Oh, great. Number one, people think that therapy means you're crazy. It absolutely does not. It means that you uh, recognize that you might benefit from support. People don't just access therapy when they're really struggling. Some people want to do it as a way of growing, of recognizing their relational patterns. There is nothing crazy about needing support. It's very human. Two, people believe therapy is just talking. I mean, some kinds of therapy is, but if you come to me with panic attacks, if you come to me with intrusive thoughts, I'm not going to just sit there and talk. That's not helpful for anyone. I would teach you the very skills that you would need to both understand yourself and overcome those experiences that overwhelm you. My final example is going to be therapy will fix you. Lots of people believe that they are broken and they need a therapist who will put them back together. Firstly, no one is broken. Yes. Secondly, a therapist's job is not to fix you. Yes, we are the experts of psychology, but you are the expert of you. And in a therapy room, it is the two voices, so yours and the therapist, that combine to make a joint understanding of where you are, how you got here, and combine to help you move forward. You don't need fixing. I can't fix you, but together we would find a way. Love it. So beautifully said. And it would be a smart place to end the podcast episode if I didn't have one more question, which is, as this is the Brain Care podcast, how does brain care show up in your life? What do you do to take care of your brain on a daily basis? I have now practiced mindfulness for many years, but not so formally. At the beginning, I started off practicing it formally. As in, in a suit and tie? <laughs> yes, only in a dinner jacket. Only in Smart a dinner shoes. jacket, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and after a while, I'd done it enough to feel like I'd incorporated it into my everyday thinking. So I have to say, whilst I don't necessarily don the suit and tie or set aside time to practice mindfulness every day, I bring mindful moments multiple times through the day to breathe, stop what I'm doing, observe what is present and decide how to proceed. I also practice yoga, which is a moving meditation. And I do many, many things that slow everything down and allow me to be rather than do. Amazing. Dr. Soph, it's been a massive pleasure. Where can people get your book and find you on social media, please? 
Well, on social media, I am at underscore Dr. Soph. So D-R-S-O-P-H. There is someone who is at Dr. Soph who must be furious because they have a private account and get tagged in things about me all the time. So at underscore Dr. Soph. And the book, A Manual for Being Human, can be found on Amazon, Waterstones, and in pretty much every bookstore, actually, now. And if you're ordering outside the UK, the best thing to do is thebookdepository.com because they do free worldwide delivery. Good insights. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on. I loved it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So, for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week.